You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It is starting to feel like Christmas out there with the snow. Um, So last week, Pastor Brad uh, actually started us off on our short yet sweet Advent sermon series titled Given to Us, where uh, we're studying the meaning, fulfillment, and significance of the names of the promised Messiah from Isaiah 9, who was given to us. And today we'll be discussing uh, the name Mighty God. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'll invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll read this passage together once again. We're going to be just reading from verse 2 to verse 7. All right, Isaiah 9, 2 to 7. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep Darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. So a couple of weeks ago, as my family was getting ready to leave the house for school and work one morning, I looked over at my almost 14-year-old son as he was just putting his lunch bag in his backpack, and I thought to myself, something is different here. Something's different about him. And then right after thinking that, I realized almost instantly what it was. He was taller than me. And I blurted out in shock and wonder... Liam, are, are, are you taller than me? And I think he was a little surprised at, at this as well. And so Audrey had to stand back to back really quickly. And sure enough, it was confirmed. Liam is now the tallest member of our household. So congratulations to him. <clears throat> I have mixed feelings about this, obviously. Uh, mostly because I can still remember when he was first born. Right? I, can, I can remember holding him for the first time. And, and when I held him in my arms, I honestly thought I would break him. You know, he was so tiny, <clears throat> and he was so fragile and, and, and helpless even. 
and super cute, of course. And now, well, he's just still fragile and helpless. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. He knew I was going to say that I had his permission. Uh, for real, though, you know, anyone who's seen or held a baby knows what I'm talking about here. They're so precious and adorable and yet incredibly delicate and dependent. Right? They can do nothing on their own. And so if we contrast that image of, of a baby, then, <clears throat> with the God of the universe, the, the omniscient, <clears throat> excuse me, i got a frog in my throat, <clears throat> the omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful God who, who created all things simply by speaking them into existence, the, the God who, who reigns as sovereign and glorious over everything in heaven and earth, the great I am who was and is and is to come, the holy God of love and justice and mercy, the God of judgment and righteousness, the El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. I'm not certain you could find a bigger contrast than those two images. Again, a small, helpless baby and an all-powerful God. The all-powerful God. And yet, Isaiah 9.6 tells us that the promised Savior is both. It's almost paradox paradoxical, right? But yet, it's, it's the truth. That the human child born of Mary is also the son given to us. And his name, according to Isaiah 9, is El Gabor, which usually translate, translates in your Bibles as the mighty God. El, which is short form of Elohim, meaning God, and Gabor, meaning mighty. Though supposedly that word can also be translated to mean warrior or hero or powerful. In other words, he's this powerful warrior God who came into creation in the form of human flesh, right, to fight for us and for our salvation. He's the fulfillment of many prophecies like Zephaniah 3.17, for example, which says, the Lord your God is in your midst. I love that. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And this is basically what the angel Gabriel tells Joseph in Matthew 1, 21, 23. He says to him, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lord is in your midst. Jesus is the mighty God who dwells with us and saves us. The mighty one who will save. And last week, Pastor Brad reminded us of the wonder of Christmas. And this is, this is what it's all about, right? I mean, how can we not wonder and marvel in awe at this seemingly paradoxical revela revelation of who Jesus was on that first Christmas morning, that the son who was born was also the son who was given. A helpless baby human, and yet simultaneously, the mighty God. Both the Son of Man, which speaks to his human nature, and yet also the Son of God, which speaks to his divine nature. Born of a woman, but conceived by the Spirit. Living in the flesh, and yet eternally existing with God before creation. That's incredible. 
As we were reminded last week as well from John 1, Jesus is the word of God who was with God and is God, the word from which all things were created in and for, the word who became flesh to dwell among us in order to set us free. And, 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 and this, is, this is the wonder of it, right? That the Son of God, Jesus, who said of himself before Abraham was, I am, and who said before Pontius Pilate that if he desired, he could call all the host of angels to fight at his side. He was pleased to dwell with us, among us, to be like us, in order to live perfectly for us and then die for us in our place. He's the mighty God given to us, even unto death. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which uh, Selah already read this morning so well. I'm going to read it again. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Even as a tiny baby, the fullness of God dwelt within him. And again, this is the good news. This is the good news, the gospel, that the one God of heaven who exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that that because of his love for us, gave his one and only begotten Son so that in him we could find forgiveness and have eternal life. On that end, though, there, there are some, there are many, I guess you could say, who try to argue that Jesus was was simply only a man. And that he just came to be a teacher or, or a good example for us. And maybe even died as a martyr for the cause, so to speak. But if that's the case, then, as the Apostle Paul would say, we're still dead in our sins. If that's the case, then there's no point. Or as a theologian, Charles Spurgeon, once proclaimed, Now, I may fairly use the Apostle's line of argument in reference to the Godhead and Sonship of Christ, of which his resurrection gave such a palpable demonstration. If Christ be not the Son of God, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain, and ye are yet in your sins, and all our visions of heaven are blasted and withered. The brightness of our hope is quenched forever. That rock on which our trust is built turns out to be nothing better than mere sand if the divinity of Christ be not proved. And so, yes, the the reason that Jesus came into creation as a human is, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, 22, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So he he was born as, as a human to take on the judgment and the penalty for mankind's sin, which was death, 
so that as the perfect sacrifice, he could redeem us into resurrection life. To do what Adam could not do, right? But yet, in order for him to have lived righteously and without blemish, like none of us can, and in order for him to have been able to resist the temptation of sin so that he could stand in our place as a perfect sacrifice, and in order for him to have been able to conquer death and rise from the grave so that he could reconcile us with God the Father through his blood and resurrection power, this means that he also had to be fully God. As Spurgeon again writes, it is not in a creature to stand against temptation. He will yield if the temptation be strong enough. But Christ stood. And it seems to me that in his standing and in his resurrection, he proved himself to have the omni-radiant purity, the immaculate holiness of him before whom angels veil their faces and cry, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth means Lord God of hosts. Simply speaking, if Jesus was only a human, he would have just been born into sin like the rest of us, conceived of man. And sinful man cannot save himself. Sinful man cannot conquer or justify his own sin, much less anyone else's. And if we could do that, then we'd simply be able to do it on our own. We wouldn't need a savior. So good luck with that if that's if that's what you're attempting to do, because only God can measure up to God. Only God can measure up to God. The law of Moses shows us this, right? That we, we can't live perfectly and righteously on our own. We need God to justify us and reconcile us to himself. No man or woman can do what only he can do. As it says in Jeremiah 17, 15, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And also in Psalm 146, 3-4, it says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. In other words, if Jesus was human only, he wouldn't be our Savior. He wouldn't be able to be our Savior. At most, he'd be nothing more than a martyr, and, we'd still be, and he'd still be in the grave. Right? When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. There's no eternal plan if Jesus was human only. We'd still be cursed and we'd have no hope of salvation and eternal life. But the psalm continues. Psalm 146, starting at 5, it continues and it says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. It is God who saves. It is the Lord who rescues and lifts up and heals and sets us free. Not man. It is the Lord. So the good news for us is that Jesus was not man only, but also distinctly the mighty God. The Lord who saves and lifts up. And so blessed is he whose help is from the God who created heaven and earth. In other words, blessed is the one whose help is in Jesus. 
In fact, Jesus also proved his, his divinity and godly power and, and authority over creation again and again when he walked this earth, right? When he commanded the wind and seas, when he turned water to wine, when he walked on water, when he gave sight to the blind, when he brought the dead to life, when he healed incurable diseases and physical deformities, when he resisted the temptation to sin, when he forgave sin, when he spoke wisdom and truth, and when he claimed in so many words to be God, and of course, when he conquered the grave by the power of his spirit. Over and over again, he proved he was and is the mighty God. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus came in the flesh to make God known to us, as the hymn proclaims, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. In Jesus, we see and know God. About this, uh, theologian Timothy Keller writes, if you want to know God personally, you cannot just believe general truths about him or say your prayers to him. You must immerse yourself in the gospel texts. When you read the gospels, you are seeing God in human form. We see God's perfections in ways that we can relate to. We see his love, his humility, his brilliance, his wisdom, and his compassion. But they are no longer abstractions. We see them in all their breathtaking real-life forms. You know the glories of God from the Old Testament, so overwhelming and daunting. But in Jesus Christ, they come near. He becomes graspable, palpable. He becomes all-personal, someone with whom to have a relationship. So God, God doesn't want us to, to think or, or see him as this, this unknowable, impersonal, untouchable entity floating somewhere out there in the heavens. No, he, he came to us in the flesh so that we could be in relationship with him. Since we couldn't come to him, he came to us by his grace, by his love. And so the incarnation should remind us of how much God humbled himself and how much he suffered and went through just so that we can know him. This is, this is amazing love. This is how much you matter to him. This is how much each of you matter to him, that he came into creation for you. But again, if Jesus wasn't fully God, then he'd have just been this one crazy dude and we'd still be dead in our sins and separated from him. And so what I'm saying is to acknowledge that Jesus was born of a woman, but yet to think he was human only and, and, and anything less than Emmanuel, God with us, is to, is to actually deny that we have any hope of salvation or eternal life. And in the same manner, to view the resurrected Christ as anything less than the mighty God is to not see or know Jesus at all. In fact, after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to the disciples, and one of them in particular, Thomas, who's now infamously known as Doubting Thomas, poor guy. He, he reaches out in that moment to touch Jesus' hands, you know, in, in the place where the nails had gone in. And upon doing so, upon seeing the scars, upon touching his uncorrupted flesh, his human body, and finally seeing Jesus for who he truly and fully is. He confesses, him, confesses to him in faith without, without any more question or any more doubt. 
my Lord and my God. So to see Jesus, especially in light of his, his divine conception, his virgin birth, his death, and of course, his resurrection from death, is to see him and know him deeply and relationally as the mighty God who saves. The Elohim of Elohim, the God above all gods, the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords who presently sits at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority over heaven and earth. He's the mighty God who reconciles us to the Father, who fights for us, who intercedes for us, who is with us even in the shadow of the valley of death, who rescues us from it, who saves us from temptation, who crushes the evil one, who slays our giants and sets us free by the power of his blood and through the victory of his sin and death at the cross, of, of, uh, over our sin and his death at the cross, who says of himself in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The mighty God, the righteous right hand, Jesus Christ is with us. He's with us. He's in our midst. He humbled himself and he came to dwell with us. And so even now, when we surrender to him and we place our lives in his hands, we can be certain, we can be confident that he fights the battle on our behalf and even strengthens us by his might through the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. As Michael Yusuf writes, as, as you worship Jesus this Christmas, challenge yourself to see him as he is. There is majesty in the manger. The baby in swaddling cloths is mighty God. The creator of the universe stepped into human skin because he loves you. And it is his delight to bring you to himself. So let this truth of, of God's unrelenting and generous love and grace be your comfort and your confidence and your joy. Let it lead you into surrendering your life to his mighty name, the name of Jesus not only for this Advent season, but for your whole life. Let it give you the boldness and, and, and desire to walk and live, and when the time comes, even die with courage and hope for his name, knowing that the mighty God is with us and that he's for us and that he'll never forsake us, knowing that in him we can do mighty things for his name. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable, and he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. No matter what we're going through or what we face, 
no matter what we're up against or, or what we feel called to do for him with Jesus, the mighty God on our side will have the strength to move forward with confidence, to persevere, to resist the devil's schemes, and to stand fast in faith. For when we are weak, he is strong. When we feel powerless, his grace, as Dr. J said, his grace is sufficient. For his mighty power rests on us and is in us. As he says in Joshua 9.1, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And as it says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And it's why Ephesians 6.10 can encourage us to finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In Christ, we are strong because he is the mighty God given to us. Amen. We're going to be continuing this theme next week. But for now, and, and since I've quoted this man a couple times already, I wanted to end my message with a short video based on, on a message which was preached by Charles Spurgeon on the topic of Jesus being our Emmanuel God with us. After that, we're going to respond together with communion. So if you'd like to play the video now. you the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let Satan come to you suddenly and do you but whisper the word, God with us, and back he falls, confounded and confused. Satan trembles when he hears that name. God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort, is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glory.
song of the redeemed is the chorus of angels and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we come to the table of our Lord, this is what we remember. That though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not claim that authority for himself, but chose instead to humble himself and take our place at the cross for our sin. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He died so that we could live, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God the Father, covered in his righteousness and under a new covenant, a covenant of grace. Our Savior and our mighty God did this for us so that he could have communion with us. And so with hearts of repentance and with hearts of thanksgiving, let us together as the body of Christ remember and proclaim his great love which was poured out and revealed in full at the cross as we symbolically receive his body and his blood. <laughs>